Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. So, in this world that we live in, you know, I was thinking, it's been um since probably the almost the beginning like genesis 6 that man has been getting onto boats and going out into the wide open spaces of the ocean i mean you know it's 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 pretty common and so for that reason I, it's kind of hard for me to believe that again you know, this day and age with all that experience sailing with all the technology with all the progress that we've made that there's still shipwrecks on the sea in fact, last year, in 2018, there was over 180 ships that went out on the ocean one day and didn't come back for one reason or another. In January, there was 12 more, and one of those was the Mary B. II. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard said on January 8, 2019, the Mary B. was crossing the bay over by Newport off the Oregon coast, and she capsized amidst 14 waves, killing her three crew. Now... These sailors were not amateurs by any stretch of the imagination. They were professionals. This is what they did for their living. It was their career. Their boat was featured on the deadliest catch in 2016. So these are experienced guys. And it just goes to show you that no matter how much experience you got sailing, no matter how advanced your boat is, it's still dangerous to go out on the seas. When they get rough, disaster can happen. Well, listen, Jesus is in the middle of some rough seas in Luke chapter 20. He's going through the day of questions here, and the leaders are trying to trap him into saying something so they can take him down, so they can sink his ship. The first wave came last week, and uh, he managed to navigate that storm with some courage and with truth and with grace. And today he's going to get another wave coming at him from a different direction. And from what happens, we can take some things away that will help us survive on the sea of conflict. So we're going to read Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26 uh, this morning, and we'll go through that together. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had, he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. 
And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, grateful to be here this morning to come together as your people in this place and uh, to lift you up as the magnificent, awesome God who deserves all of our worship and praise. And it is our, our privilege to do that. And um, we thank you for uh, Living Streams. We thank you for the ministry that happens through um, the people here, Lord, and uh, all the things that are going on. We just praise you for that. And we ask you, Lord, as we, uh, as we begin to focus our hearts and minds on this particular encounter that Jesus has with these leaders, that, um, that you would uh, soften our hearts, that you would uh, plant the things that we're going to read in our hearts, that it might bear fruit uh, even this day for us in our lives. We thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit, who uh, we lean on and lean into, uh, knowing he's going to point us in the right direction as we uh, sing and pray and preach and then go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, you can take your Bibles, turn to Luke 20, if you haven't already, if you want to follow along in there. New research has revealed that employees waste an average of $1,500 and an eight-hour workday every year avoiding difficult conversations. So according to the study conducted by the authors of this New York best-selling, uh, best-selling book called Crucial Conversations, 95% of companies' workforce struggles to speak up in the workplace when they've got concerns. And so that results in this resource-sapping behavior that goes from ruminating excessively about, about issues, complaining, getting angry, doing unnecessary work, avoiding people altogether. And so Joseph Grenny is the guy who wrote this book, and the, so he, he says, it's time that organizations stop viewing interpersonal competencies as unnecessary skills and tar- start teaching people how to interact and how to deal with conflict in their lives. And I thought, you know, that's just one area. One area where, you know, it gives us evidence that people don't like conflict. And we do a lot to try to avoid it. So every day, if you think about it, we go out on the seas of relationships and we, and you know, we go out there and sometimes things go good, right? It's a smooth day on the ocean. Uh, it's, it's calm seas. We have a great sail. We come home and we sleep well. But then there's other times when we go out and out of nowhere, this storm shows up, this conflict. And we find ourselves starting to sink in our ship. We're getting angry. We're trying to destroy our enemy. Or we're being destroyed and we're ruining our witness for Christ. Now, sometimes these storms go on and on and on like a hurricane. You know, it's like we we are in the middle of it and we think, when is this going to be over? We wake up to it. You know, it might be at church. It might be at work. It might be at school. It might be at home. You know, it's it's just this constant churning. Of conflict, and uh, so the presence of stormy seas in our life, you know, it just has this big impact on us. I mean, it can change our personality if it goes on long enough, because we cope, we try to cope with these things, and so it has this huge impact on our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, our work, you know, our our ability to get out of bed and go do the things that that we have in our day to do. Well, this passage of scripture isn't going to be a complete answer for how to deal with conflict. Uh, but there are some survival skills that we're going to draw out of it 
to help us out there when the seas get rough. So the first one is to check the weather. Yeah. Now, you're going to have to follow along with me you know, to, to see how does this match with Luke 20. And so I'm, I'll try to do my best to connect the dots. Sometimes, you know, I get nervous when i got to connect the dots and the, and the line gets really long. But I I'm hopefully have gotten there. <laughs> if I didn't, just ignore the points and read the word. Easy. No, actually, it's not. So, check the weather. Jesus' relational weather on this day is really is pretty rough. I mean, when he woke up this day, the warning sirens would have been going off. Now he heads to the temple. He's in this atmosphere of um, of storm. It's a stormy atmosphere. The, the, the seas are choppy. They're already the storm has approached. We saw the the first wave of the storm come through last week as he was attacked there. Um, they tried to catch him in something he said that he he handled that loaded question of, of, about his authority with with the skill of a journeyman sailor. And, you know he he kind of put it back on them. Uh, he, he kind of said, "Hey, you know, you guys, you answer a question for me." And then he tells tells them they didn't, and they tell tell a story uh, about them, and they understood that it was about them. And and then he says, "Hey, this is what's going to happen to you," you know. And, and that was the first wave. And so, verse nineteen kind of picks up right at the end of that, and the storm sort of withdraws from Jesus for a moment. And uh, the leaders are livid. I mean, they are like embarrassed. They're like, this guy just put us down with, you know, this story. And, you know, surely not. That's not us. They're trying to save face. So they try a different tactic. And they go into surveillance mode with Jesus. Verse 20 says that, that they started to watch him. And they did that by sending spies to go into the group there where he was teaching. And, and to act as though they respected him. You know, they thought he was, they thought he was great. But they were on a mission, you know, to find something to catch him, get him in trouble. So, I mean, feel that atmosphere. Full of that energy that creates storms. It's ripe for conflict to break out, turn up the seas and try and take down Jesus. In verse 21, the spies set their trap. And they do this with what Pastor Shane and I like to call sunshine in your face. Okay, it's glowing words of affirmation and respect. Teacher, we know you speak and teach what is right. And we know you don't show any favoritism. You don't fear people. You just teach God's ways in their purest form. Now, all of that's true. Uh, that's, that's the way Jesus taught. Um, but they didn't really mean any of it. In fact, they didn't even care. They were just using those words to set him up for this question that they thought was going to get him. So conflict in a day can come at you fast. And if there, is, if there is some sunshine getting blown in your face, if there's some glowing words of affirmation and respect that seem to kind of go overboard and you go, huh, what's going on here? Listen to the warning signs. <laughs> you might be getting buttered up, you know, for something that's coming. So the question really was a simple one. Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar, to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, I'll get to the question here in a minute, but verse 23, the next verse, it points to my point. It says, Jesus perceived their craftiness, and then he gave the answer. He perceived their craftiness. So before he opens his mouth, something's going on up here. See, before we open our mouths in conflict, we need to check the weather. We need to do what Jesus did. Now, I... 
you know, know that Jesus is the Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit, and he's an expert journeyman sailor, and he can handle the seas of conflict way better than any of us will ever be able to do. I understand that. We aren't going to be able to do what he did, but we still need what he uses. He uses discernment. He uses discernment and wisdom, and that's what we need to do when we're on these rough seas. How do we get discernment? Through prayer. It comes through prayer. If you're not praying through your relational conflicts in your life, then I promise you, your ship is taken on water. Prayer is a place we go to talk to the one who knows the truth, who knows, who can see through all the fog of the conflict. Uh, you know, we can go to him and talk to him about what's going on. How many times do we go and talk to other people and we tell them about the conflict and we're telling them our side of the story and, you know, we're kind of getting support for what we want to do. Don't do that. It's important to have wise counselors, but talk to God first. Go to him and ask for understanding. Proverbs 3.13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. Blessed is the one. Where do we get that? We get that from God. It comes from Him. Now, the Bible is tremendously effective in giving us discernment, and I'll get to the Bible next, but, but conflict doesn't always give you the chance to go get in the Bible, you know. You know, it doesn't always give you that chance. But prayer, you can always pray. When you see the weather start changing in a relationship or something's going on, you can start praying immediately. And the Spirit of God will help you discern what is going on. Discernment helps us understand the why in the conflict. Discernment will help us understand what I need to hear. What, what's the truth? What do I need to learn from this coming at me? Discernment will help you know how to get through the storm without going down. Now, what does going down in this you know, storm of conflict look like? Um, well, really, I can't think of anything good, you know. It means the end of a relationship. It means the end of a marriage. Uh, it means ex- expulsion from school, and that's not a good thing. Um, it, it, it means that, you know, you're going to lose your job, or, or you have a distance in a relationship, or you have phony interactions. You know, just, you, the list goes on and on, but if you lose in this storm of conflict, it's not good for anyone. Nobody benefits. So do you think, as followers of Jesus, who've been born again, who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, do you think we should do conflict different than the rest of the world? Do you think? Yeah, I do too. But it doesn't seem like we hear about that very often. And it seems like all we hear about is the sinking ships. Maybe that's because they're the only, only thing that make the headlines instead of the survival stories. But it seems like we sink more than we survive on these stormy seas. So when the storm comes at you all of a sudden, don't rush to get through it. Slow down. Start praying. Start listening. You know, immediately you might be able to put an end to the storm. You know, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you might be able to calm it down right away. Because there's just a misunderstanding. I mean, you know, we got all kinds of conflicts going on in our life. So, you know, the other thing you can do is, uh, when this is, you know, happens out of nowhere, call a timeout. Go to the bathroom. Go to the bedroom. 
Go somewhere where you can get alone and talk to God and say, what's going on here, Lord? I need your help. I need your discernment. I need to know where this person is coming from. I need to know what they want to have happen. I need to understand what I've done. And the Holy Spirit will give you that discernment. He will give you that understanding where this person's coming from. So we got to seek God's wisdom and His understanding. And we seek His peace through prayer. And then we go back to navigating the storm. Now, it's not out of the question that you'll get some instant discernment like Jesus did. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, so we could get that right away. But our humanity, typically in a conflict, will jump toward defending ourselves and and trying to, to win this argument, to destroy our opponent, and do battle, rather than seeking understanding and resolution. And so we need to take a time out when you can to ask for discernment. And if you got time, you know, if you're out there and you go out and seas are calm, sky's beautiful, you're having a great day on the ocean, and all of a sudden you see a storm coming. You start to prepare in the boat. Well, you can do that, too, when it comes to conflict. Sometimes you know that it's coming. You know that I'm going to go to dinner with my family and there's going to be, you know, friction. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so you, you can go, and uh, before you go to that, you can bathe it in prayer. You can just pour over it, um, asking God to help you. One thing that is very helpful when it comes to conflict is n- to never assume the motive of the person that's angry. You know, why are they coming to me? Never answer that question. Don't assume why they're coming to you. Don't assume motive. God will help you in, in that. Don't assume innocence on your part. (laughs) You know, don't assume innocence on your part. Prepare to listen to criticism. That's hard to do. We need God's help to do it. If If you're the one that's been hurt and you're going to the other person, before you go to the other person, let the Lord have that hurt. Because He's really the only one that can heal it anyway. Even if you get an I'm sorry from the other person. You're going to have to let it go in your heart. And so ask him to help you with that. Give him that. And then if you can do that and you feel that sense of forgiveness, then then when you have that meeting with the other person, it's going to go all a whole lot differently because you're not going to need anything from them. And it'll be good. You'll survive on the sea. So, you know, conflicts, myriad of conflicts that we have in our life. All kinds of different storms that come our way. Uh, But making it a practice to pray in any kind of conflict before and during and it can make a huge difference in your survival. So check check the weather. Get discernment. Seek wisdom. Pursue peace. And then work for it. So check the weather. So the next one is trust the compass. The next survival skill is to trust the compass. Uh, so Jesus perceives their craftiness and he comes back with an answer. Uh, even though they weren't asking a legitimate question, they didn't care what the answer was, um, they, didn't, they just wanted to catch him. So uh, he, they don't ask a legitimate question, but he gives them a legitimate answer, a legitimate response. And the question, it brings up a hot topic of the day, and it had to do with politics. Can you relate to that? I thought you might be able to. So the Jews, they didn't have any laws on the books. They weren't allowed to execute anyone. And so what they were trying to do was they were trying to make it so that Jesus would be seen by Rome, who was their ruling government, seen by them as a political enemy. So they would have reason to arrest him and 
and to kill him. So that's what they were trying to accomplish. The question was, was designed to get Jesus in trouble with the Romans, but at the very least get him in trouble with the Jews. So the, politi- the political issue was about paying taxes to Caesar. You see, many Jews thought that paying their taxes to Caesar, paying tribute once a year, it wasn't a lot of money, about a day's wages, um, that, but they had to pay taxes just for living in, the, in that kingdom. So uh, they had trouble doing that. They thought that put them in conflict with God. They were kind of thinking, how can I uh, have any allegiance to, my, to this earthly king without betraying allegiance to my heavenly king? So they had this conflict going on inside of them. It was a huge issue. Some of them were willing to die, you know, for not paying their taxes. So he called them uh, for this coin, the denarius, and he asked them a question. Who's who's on it? Whose inscription is on the coin? And they look at it and they say, well, it's Caesar. And then he makes his point. I mean, he says some words that have never been forgotten. They're so famous. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So simple, so, so beautiful. See, since the, since the coin is inscribed with Caesar, and you're living under his kingdom, working with his currency, it is absolutely okay and congruent with God's kingdom to pay your taxes to him. Follow the laws of the land. Now, the question, see, it gets resolved when you stop seeing the original question, do we pay taxes to Caesar, when you stop seeing that as an either-or question. So it's, it's, it's either Caesar or God. That's not the way to see that question. The way to see it is a both and. It's Caesar and God. So how do you get there? Well, you understand that that though the coin is stamped with the image of Caesar, Caesar is stamped with the image of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So you give to God what is God's. What is God's? Everything. Everything is God's. Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So because we are citizens of the United States, and God has established our government like he does every other government that has ever been established, then uh, we are glorifying him by being good citizens. It's congruent. And so, so first of all, that means we should pay our taxes. Sorry, I know that's like the season for it. So I get no, no news there. Not going to tell you to not pay your taxes. Now, but here's some other things it means. It means we should pray. We should pray for the people in, in charge, people in our government, people that are over us. First uh, Timothy chapter two verses one to three says, "I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them." Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So we should pray. We also also should participate. We should participate in the government that is that we're subject to. And we, uh, we, we do that... Uh, uh, in America, we can do that. All of us can do that. That's over 18 by voting. So it glorifies God when we take our faith into the voting booth and we participate in elections. It's a it's a privilege. Um, some of us are going to be called into the military, and we're going to be called to defend and protect our country. Some of us are actually going to be called to serve in public office. 
And we're going to be uh, there to shape our country. It absolutely glorifies God when we bring our faith into the government and practice it when we're there. What about separation of church and state? Isn't that a law of our land? Yes, it is. That's to keep the government out of the church, not the church out of the government. We're not talking about separation of God and the government. We're talking about separation of church and state. It's different. So we take our faith into the government. And then the last thing we do is, uh, as good citizens, we follow the laws of the, of, the, of the land. And that makes us good citizens, unless they require us to do something immoral. Now, right there is a really big rabbit trail that I could go on, but I'm not going to. not going to. Uh, because I know that I have just solved all of your problems when it comes to how to mingle your faith with your politics. Haven't I? If only it were that easy. But that really kind of points to my point about the compass, checking the compass. I mean, conflict is rarely black and white. You know, we're, we're floating on these rough seas of, of political conflicts or otherwise, and, and the fog gets thick, and there's confusion, and doubt. It's like, what's right? How do we cut through all the junk? Well, we have to go to the compass and trust what it says. And you will always be able to trust the Word of God to be the will of God. Always. So when conflict makes life foggy, when you can't understand what's going on, go to the compass of God's word and read it. It's living and active, sharper than than any double-edged sword. And when you bring your life, which changes, to God's word, which doesn't change, it's amazing how you apply it. Just like this, this uh, verses we're going through today. You know, applying it to conflict, helping us. And so it's amazing. But we got to trust it. we got to do it. So when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what the right thing is to do, here's a suggestion. Do Romans 12, 17 to 19. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in, in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when you don't know what the right thing to do is, do, do that. That's the right thing to do. When you don't know if you can forgive, if you can forgive this person that's hurt you, let Ephesians 4.31 and 32 help you do that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And this is, a, this is the big help right here. As God in Christ has forgiven you. We've received so much forgiveness. Who are we to hold anything against somebody else? When we know how much we've received, that's a help. That's a help for you. Trust the compass. Now, when it seems like, you know, if I do that, if I, if I trust the compass, I'm going to end up sinking in this conflict. I'm going to lose. Well, remember Matthew 5, 9. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And you know what? When everything seems absolutely crystal clear to you, you've got the conflict, you're like, yeah, this is what we should do. This is the answer. This will fix everything. Be cautious. Take a step back and remember John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Conflict is rarely black and white. It's a gray area in our life. It, it, you know, at, at our house... Uh, we like to say that there are two sides to every pancake. You know, so you got to remember that. In conflict, there's two sides to every pancake. And that's two Sundays in a row I've been able to use the word pancake. <laughs> Just keeping you with me. Just keeping you with me. 
So when the seas get rough, at home or at school or work or church, you're often going to find yourself not knowing what to do, what to say, where to go. You'll read something in the Word like Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And you'll look at that and you'll think, if I do that, I'm going down. I won't survive this. And that's when you have to trust the compass. You have to believe that this is his will and his way, and it's good for us, and it'll bring him glory. You know when the compass showed up? In our world, it was, be, it was between the years 200 B.C. to 100 A.D. That's when the compass came on. So before that, before the compass, um, sailors would use landmarks and the stars to figure out which direction to go on the sea. So when they were out of, out of uh, view of land, then they looked up to the skies and they would measure the angles between the stars to figure out which direction they needed to go. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I don't know if you got out when it was like negative 40 and looked up at the sky, but it was amazing. It was just like crystal clear. I don't know what it, what it is about cold weather, but there's something sciencey there. I don't know. Lucy, you'll have, you'll have to tell me how, to, how that works. She loves science. But it's pretty cool, you know. The stars are up there. But the thing is, when we're on the, ste- when we're, when we're on the seas and there's a storm, you look up and you don't usually see the stars. It's stormy. You see clouds. You see lightning, thunder. And so... Um, this is where we, we need to we get to this last point. Um, when, it, when, it, when it goes to um, surviving on the seas of conflict, we've got to remember that the stars are up there. And they can help us find our way through the storm. Um, and, and they'll help us do a little more than just survive. This final verse gives us an example of what this looks like. How to use conflict for the glory of God. Verse 26, it said, And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. So the spies failed. They, they failed in their mission. But Jesus did not sink them on the seas of conflict. They went away marveling at his answer. So after the words are exchanged... They didn't go away mad. They didn't go away with more fuel for their fire. Maybe maybe they didn't even go away at all. I was kind of assuming that in there. I mean, maybe they became one of the crowd who's sitting there hanging on his every word. It says they stopped their attack and they marveled. They admired Jesus. They looked upon him with respect. That's what that means. Wow. What if we looked at conflict not as a war to win, but as an opportunity to live out Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. What if we made conflict and saw conflict in our life, all kinds, as ways to try to live that out? What if the next time the seas get rough, we lay down our weapons and we remember the stars shining above the clouds? Many of you are aware of the name Jim Elliott. Uh, he was a missionary back in the 1950s to uh, a murderous tribe in, the, in uh, Ecuador in the rainforest called the Alca Indians. If you haven't caught uh, his story or, or uh, seen the documentary about him, uh, him and the four other missionaries that were martyred on a riverbank, 
Um, then I'll tell you, your faith is missing some encouragement. Um, so go find it. Beyond the Gates of Splendor, just look that up and you'll find it. So the expectations that these missionaries had for a peaceful encounter with these Indians was, without violence was really slim. I mean, they, they, were, they were known for their killing. And so they worked for months. They worked for months just trying to find where they lived. Uh, had an airplane that they used. And then once they found them, uh, they began to, to lower things down in a bucket while they flew around in a tight circle up at the top using centrifugal force. It was really cool. Some guy knew science in that missionary. So they, they lower this ba- uh, bucket down and they would give gifts to the Indians. And they thought they were getting somewhere when, when they started to haul the bucket back in and it had gifts returning from them. And so their hopes began to soar that they were going to have a face-to-face contact with these Indians without, without hostilities coming. Even still, they, they armed themselves. They, uh, they carried guns so that they could defend themselves if, if need be. So they decided the day came that they were going to risk it, and they found this spot on a river called the Curare River, and they flew the plane in there and landed, and they were visited by a small group of Alka Indians. And the, and the visit was a huge success. They even took one on an airplane ride. They called him George. And so um, they, they were very excited, you know, uh, when, when that day was over. But then the next visit was ten warriors. And they came out of, the, out of the jungle and they speared all five missionaries. But you know, not one single shot was fired. How come they didn't defend themselves? Well, they found the answer in Jim Elliott's journal. They had agreed beforehand that if they were attacked by the Indians, that they wouldn't use their guns to defend themselves because they were ready for heaven and the Indians weren't. What an example. What an example of laying down your weapons in a conflict. What if we could follow that example? What if we could decided to lay down our weapons during conflicts? What if we stopped looking at conflict in life as wars to win and started seeing it as an opportunity to witness for Jesus. What if the goal next time you got together with somebody who was angry or there was friction or whatever it was, what if the goal was not to win that argument but for them to walk away with more respect for you than they had before? Wouldn't that change some things? These are ways that the stars can help us. Turn conflict into God-glorifying events. And I promise you, I can say from experience, this ain't easy. It's one of the hardest things that we'll ever go through. You have to do what Jesus did. You have to lay down your life for somebody that doesn't, isn't lovable, who doesn't even like you, who's not interested in you. But listen, if you can do that, Jesus promises... There's more life for you. He'll bring it back some way, somehow. Pastor, uh, Pastor Kent Hughes, he, he told a story in one of his commentaries on, on the book of Luke about a friend of his wife's. And he doesn't name her. Uh, so I, I think he could have, but he didn't. Um, she was a missionary with, uh, with her husband and her family. And uh, they... We're having a really tough go for a stretch, you know, just a really wearying time. And so they decided to take a furlough, come back to the United States 
to kind of get rested up and rejuvenate, recuperate. And so they found this place to live, and she was real excited. She was so excited about coming and just spending some, some time in rest. And so she finds this house. She, she can call it her own, and it was this new townhouse apartment, you know, in, in this nice neighborhood. And um, it was just fantastic. And it had this patio on it, and she, she saw that patio, and she thought immediately, I'm going to turn that into my space. I'm going to make that the place that I go meet with God and soak up his presence and, you know, get strong again. And so she just put all of her decorating energies into this patio. Well, a few months go by and some new neighbors move in. And she describes these neighbors as uh, coarse. Okay, So uh, loud music blaring night and day. Uh, Obscenities flying all the time. Urinating in the front yard in broad daylight. You know, she, she's just so frustrated. Here, the, she's got all of this, all these plans for rest and peace. And here come these, these new neighbors destroying it all. And so she started to ask the Lord for help with her feelings. Uh, but things just seemed to get more frustrating. Accusing words now being shouted between the houses. Police being called to complain about the noise. It just kept escalating. And then one day, it all came to a head. She, she came home and she found out that her neighbor's children had come into her patio and spray-painted the walls and the, and the floor with orange paint. And so she was devastated and she was furious. And so she said, I, she tried to pray. She tried to cry out to God. But she said this, I cannot love them. I hate them. And then she thought, I, I know... I can't have that going on in my heart. And so she went to the Lord with that. She began to talk to God about that. And then she started to talk to God about each and every one of the family members. Every single one of them. And over time, a scripture came to mind. Colossians 3:14, And beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So in her heart, she, she heard that scripture and she said, how do I do that? How do I put on love? And, and then this image came to her mind of putting on a coat. You know, like just covered her all up. And so that's what she started to do every day. She'd go and meet with Jesus. She'd talk to these, uh, talk to, to God about all of the family members and she just would wrap herself in the love of God, trusting that he knew best. He knew what was going on. And he knew the weariness in her heart, and he knew what she wanted, but, but he knew the circumstances of these annoying neighbors. And then one day, she began to make a list of things that she could do to love her neighbors. And then she started working the list. So she made them cookies. And, and she offered them free babysitting. And she had the mother over to sit down for coffee and, and began to know her. And a beautiful thing happened. A relationship developed. And then this lady began to understand what kinds of pressures this family was under. You know, what they were straining with every single day. She began to love her enemies. Giving without expecting anything in return. And then the day came when the neighbors moved away. And she went out on her patio and just wept. It was life. She gave up her life for those folks to love them, and they got life. And she got life in return. It's certainly not easy to survive on the seas of conflict, but it is not impossible either. It takes a lot of prayer. 
We got to be praying through these things. Surrendering ourselves to God, trusting Him with ourselves, with our circumstances, with our conflicts. We need to trust Him with all of that. We need to ask Him for discernment when we're in the middle of it. Believing He can give us the information we need and point us in the right direction. Show us how to love people. Prayer is a huge part of it. We got to, we got to trust the compass. You know, when, when, uh, when you're in a conflict of some kind, you got to immerse yourself in the Word of God. Read it. Soak it up. You'll be surprised how living and active it is when you're in the middle of a conflict. And then surviving uh, can become shining if we will give our lives uh, for others. If we will change the way we look at conflict. Not as someone to defeat, but as someone to love. It'll change. It'll change the world if we would do that. I'm going to have Pastor Shane come back up as we close today and marvel at Jesus you know looking at the conflict that he's in the the atmosphere uh, that is you know electrically charged for a storm and um, you know he's with with sentences and stories he's just navigating these seas he is to be marveled at uh, I want to I'm going to pray for us uh, before we sing um, as we uh, think about how to take this home. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we um, we come to you, and uh, I don't know what the seas look like in in our lives today for everybody, uh, but surely uh, in some people's lives there's there's rough seas going on. There's 14 foot waves in some people's lives today. And Father, we want to just ask uh, for discernment uh, to give us understanding and wisdom to know how to survive these conflicts in a way that brings you glory. It so often doesn't go that way. And so we're just asking your Holy Spirit would help us there, that he would even give us the gift of discernment. And to know what to say and what to do. Help us to run to your word, Lord. Run to the compass that always points true north. Always tells us which direction to go. It's, it's trustworthy. So as we, as we float through these rough seas, Lord, we, we need to run to your word and read and listen. And believe. Trust. And Lord, in these situations, we want to... We want to actually go from you know, an antagonizing relationship to a love relationship. I mean, that's what you did for us. It's what you show us. That's the power of the gospel. That's the amazing grace that you give us. Help us, Lord, to see how we can do that. Maybe begin by praying for the person that's upset with us or we're upset with. Begin there and ask how we can trust ourselves to you so that we might love the other person. Lord, thank you that uh, in the midst of conflict, you're there. You're with us. You never leave us or forsake us. You are faithful. Even if we give up our life, if we lose, you'll pick us up. You'll bring life. We want to trust you more, Jesus. Help us to do that today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.